Well, we do want to welcome you this morning to Friends Church this uh, Independence Day weekend. It's so good to see each and every one of you with us. I am Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and just so glad to be part of this this morning, especially uh, to welcome and introduce to you our speaker for this in the next several weeks. He is Pastor Jeff Schultz. Pastor Jeff is the uh, senior pastor at North Olmsted Evangelical Friends Church. And uh, you may be wondering, well, if he's a senior pastor at North Ormstead, what's he doing here? Uh, Jeff is on what they call a sabbatical uh, for July from his church. And, um, you know, when you're on sabbatical, you're supposed to go out and enjoy yourself and have fun. He could be anywhere in the world today that he wanted to be, and he chose to be with us. So uh, we're glad Jeff's here. He's brought his wife, Mary, and maybe some other family members. So maybe I'll let you introduce them as you come up here. And so we're glad here. Jeff has been at uh, North Olmstead. For since 1995, they are in the midst of you've really been fundraising and getting ready to do a little building project. Uh, great things are happening there, and we're just so thrilled to have him here with us this morning. So, would you give a great East Side welcome to uh, Jeff Schultz? Well, thank you, Steve, and thank you for the warm welcome. I bring you greetings from the uh, west side. I uh, find uh, that we are still reveling in the uh, championship that you may have heard about. Uh, uh, I suspect they, that word traveled here to the east side as well. We are, we are uh, just uh, terribly excited about that, as I know you are. In fact, uh, we had one of our ladies in our church came up to me last week and said, you know, my son drove LeBron James in the parade. How many of you went to the parade? A few of you, I see a few hands. Yeah, boy, that was something else. And she said, my son uh, drove LeBron James through the parade route. He said, my, my son was driving the $600,000 Rolls Royce, and he was given one instruction, make sure you take care of the car. Well, you know what happened in that parade. People were just all around it. It took for hours to get through the sea of people, at dents and, and scratches, and now they, they brought that car back, and they have to completely redo it. So now I know who to blame, and I I saw some of you, and uh, you, you, are, uh, you are put on notice here. Well, as, as Steve said, North Olmsted Friends Church has let me go for the, uh, for the month. Uh, they, they let me out about every year or a couple of years. They give me a month off. I thought it was interesting. Steve said I could be anywhere in the world, and this is about as far as I could afford, come to uh, Willoughby Hills. But uh, it is a joy to be with you, and I am going to be uh, able to share with you over the next uh, few weeks at least uh, some of the stories that Jesus told. Jesus was a storyteller. And everyone loves a story. So let's jump into God's word this morning. Would you turn with me, please, in your Bibles, perhaps to Matthew chapter 25, the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read this, in, and I believe you're using the New Living Testament, uh, Translation. So why don't we uh, stand, and in deference to God's word, we're going to read this together. Beginning here with verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. 
And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day nor the hour of my return. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. You can be seated. Well, I've already shared that I've uh, been celebrating the Cavs championship. I'm sure you have too. But I'm also celebrating something else today because 23 years ago today, Mary Elizabeth Smith joined me and became my wife. 23 years ago this very day. 23 years ago, I dressed up like a penguin in the most, oh, it was a terrible hot and humid day in this little church in Pennsylvania. But boy, guys, I'll tell you, I saw a vision coming down that aisle of the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was my favorite day ever. And I thought I was going to show you a video this morning, but then I realized I had a video of that until someone taped it over with the national championship game uh, in 2002. Now, that was a great day, too, when Ohio State beat Miami, but my wife still loves me. She's still, uh, we're still married 23 years later. And, and by the way, I've got four lovely children, and they're all here this morning as well, and I really appreciate them joining us. But you know, weddings are a huge celebration, they're a big deal. They're expensive because they matter. But I want to tell you something this morning. I believe that our attitude towards weddings is not near as a big a deal as it was in the first century. I've got a couple of weddings I'm going to do this month. I know it's a big deal here, but imagine, if you will, if you lived in the first century in a small nowhere village. In our day and age, my goodness, we have all kinds of reasons to celebrate. We just celebrated the Cavs win. We're going to celebrate this weekend, Independence Day, with fireworks and grilling out and family. We've got the, the Republicans coming to town in a couple of weeks. And before the summer is over, we'll have spent a couple of weeks watching the Summer Olympics. A lot of things to engage us, a lot of things to celebrate, a lot of things to enjoy. But imagine, if you will, if you were living in the first century, you were living in a small village where nothing ever happened, except maybe a religious festival or two during the year. But someone then says, we've got a wedding. Suddenly, that was the highlight of the year, the diversion of the year. If you were a carpenter, you put down your hammer. If you were a fisherman, you put down your nets. If you were a rabbi, you put down the study of the law because you wanted to go to the wedding. Weddings were a big, big deal, a celebration. And so you can imagine when Jesus began and he said to the crowd, let me tell you about a wedding. Well, everybody was ears, all ears, and they leaned in and he had their attention. And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you about this wedding. There were, there were 10 bridesmaids. Now, let me just stop there and say, I think a better translation, and I'll tell you why in a moment, is there were 10 virgins 
Now, these happened to be bridesmaids, but I think that these were, were virgins as well, who went out, Jesus says, with their lamps to the bridegroom. Now, those listening understood, I think, what Jesus was saying. They realized that each of these women had received an invitation to the wedding, and they had a job to do. They were, they were virgins, suggesting that they were moral and pure in their character. These were good people. They all had lamps. I think the Bible was telling us that they had some bit of light in their life. And these lamps were used to be, were, were to, be used to light the way of the bridegroom. They were to, to join in the celebration and point to the bridegroom's coming. And Jesus says that there were five of these women who were wise. But there were five who were also foolish. Now the Bible is clear, all had lamps, all 10 of them had oil in their lamps, but the five wise, well, they had extra oil. They had brought along a jar or a flask of an extra supply of oil. And as it turned out, the bridegroom was uh, a little later than anyone had expected. Now, you think about a wedding today. We pretty much know when a wedding is going to occur. In our day, it is custom to send out an invitation. And of course, you read the invitation and it'll tell you. It'll happen on such and such a day at, let's say, half past four. So you pretty much know when to get to the church, when the wedding is going to occur. Now, most of us have been to a wedding where maybe it started five minutes late or maybe 15 minutes late. I've been a part of those weddings and I always sense the nervousness of the congregation as they gather. In fact, a, a few years ago, I was performing a wedding when the father of the bride didn't show. And so we're just waiting and waiting, and we're looking at our clock. Goodness gracious, the, uh, the uh, ring bearer got so very nervous, he wet his pants. Dad finally shows up. We're ready to go, but we can't perform the wedding. Why? Because Aunt June is in the bathroom, blow-drying Joey's pants. Well, we know when a wedding is going to occur. We kind of have an idea, but in that day, there was only one person who knew when the wedding was about to start. It was the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's main responsibility was to make sure that the house was ready. The house had to be ready first. When the house was ready, then it was time to collect his bride and have the wedding. So it wasn't a particular hour. It may not have even been a particular day. It may have been a couple of weeks before the bridegroom came. However, when he decided it was time to come, he was obligated to send before him a messenger. That messenger would shout to the village, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. Get ready for the bridegroom, come and meet him. Well, this moment has happened, and I don't know exactly how long they had waited, but we know it was long enough that it was dark. And by this time, the, the women had fallen asleep. They had, they had gone to sleep, and suddenly they hear that cry. And so in my mind's eye, I can imagine them getting up. They're, they're straightening their hair. They're getting ready. They're excited to go. And then five of those women look at the light in their lamp, and the lights are beginning to dim, and they realize something ominous. Those five women realize we're not going to have enough oil. We didn't bring enough oil to make it to the wedding. And so what do they do? Well, they do what exactly you would do. They look at the five women who had an extra supply and they go to those women 
and they say, hey, can you give us some of your oil? And to our surprise, we hear this rejection. No, we don't think there's enough to share with you. You need to go and buy some more for yourselves. And so we picture those women frantically making their way through the darkness of the village, (laughs) desperate to buy some more oil. And Jesus tells the story, in the meantime, the bridegroom comes. And the bridegroom makes his way through the village. The wedding party moves on. They go to the celebration. And when these women, these five foolish women, find themselves back, they go to the door of the wedding and they are locked out. They knock. They plead. Let us in, Lord. Let us in. And I'm sure they explain the situation. You see, we were invited to this wedding. We are supposed to be in there. We are, we're, we're given the task of lighting the way, but our oil ran out. And the bridegroom's response, oh, it's haunting. He says, I, I don't know you. And the door remains closed. And so Jesus sums up the story this way. He gives us a moral. He says, be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour of my return. Now, it seems to me as we read this and we think about this story, that Jesus makes this perfectly clear. We need to be ready for his return. And I think every one of us in this room will say, amen, pastor, We don't know when that day is going to come when he will return, but we should be ready, lighting the way for when he comes. And the secret of being ready is to make sure that you have enough oil. If you think about it, oil allows fire. And and, and we have to have enough of God's spirit running through our lives to make sure that the fire keeps burning. Now, there are a couple of ways then I want you to think about how Jesus returns. The first is probably the one that we think of automatically. that, That great cosmic moment at the end of time when suddenly the trumpet sounds and the sky parts and Jesus descends to the earth and he puts one foot on the sand and one foot on the sea and he announces time is over. And he says that that cancer is dead. That he says terrorism is done. He says that poverty and loneliness are all finished. We think of that time when Jesus returns and we say with the church of every age, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But there's another way to think about it. It seems to me, the truth is, when I die, or should I say when you die, there's gonna be a moment when every one of us will meet the bridegroom. And most of us have no idea when that moment will be. Well, you say a man like me, 45, 46 years old, if I'd lose a little weight and get a little more fit, maybe I could live 40 more years. But I've got plenty of time. But of course, that can change in just just an instant. A traffic accident tomorrow, a diagnosis next month. Oh, how things can change so very quickly. The truth is, we read every day in the paper or online of a physically fit athlete who just keels over all of a sudden, taking their last breath. The truth is, our bodies are not made to last forever. There's going to be a time, a moment, when every one of us will take our last breath. 
We never know when the bridegroom will come. But I want you to take this a bit further in your mind. You know, there are moments in life, there are moments when we go through this life when suddenly a crisis happens and we find ourselves wondering if we are dying. This can be an emotional kind of thing, more than just a physical. We wonder if we can go on. Last month in our church, one of our ladies lost her son due to heroin addiction. She's devastated. Uh, your wife tells you that she's leaving you for another man. The doctor says that you need to start chemotherapy immediately. Suddenly, in a moment, your world changes. Life is shattered. The crisis is there. Your personhood is, is just in question. We are on the precipice of death and fear and lostness. And my goodness, the darkness is so real. I think of Psalm 23, when the psalmist cries out, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you know this. In fact, all of you do to some extent. Our lives are filled with such shadows. Now, sometimes they're short, maybe an hour or two. Sometimes they're weeks and months. Sometimes, in fact, they can be years but they hurt and they're lasting and it's dark. There's not a person in this room that doesn't know something about that shadow. And we know two things about those shadows. One, the valleys come. They're inevitable. They're part of life. Some of you are in one as we speak. But secondly, in those dark valleys, we need desperately to have some light. And when that moment comes, it's a blessing to have oil in your lamp. You know, there's a man, it seems to me, that Jesus really doesn't refer to, but I find myself thinking about him as I wrestle with this passage. He's the man, the merchant, if you will, who sold the girls this oil in the first place. He's a part of the village. He's ready to sell them oil. He's the one that they come knocking on the door after midnight. He come, they come to him screaming, give us some more oil. And I can't help but wonder in my own imagination what it was like for him when they first entered his shop. And he asked them, well, how much oil would you like? And, and I think these women, the foolish women, said, well, I just need a little, just enough to get by because we've got a party to get to. We can't wait to get to the party. And he inquires a little more, and he says to them, well, what kind of party exactly is this? And, of course, they respond, well, it's a wedding. We're going to a wedding. We're the bridesmaids. And he says, well, wait a second here, ladies. You need to realize this. You never know what the bridegroom might do. You never know how long it might take him to come. You better get some more oil. It never hurts to have a little extra. And I'm sure that these foolish women just kind of shook their head at him and said, no, nah, we're fine. You're a businessman. Your job is to make profit. Of course you want to sell us more oil. Or maybe they thought, well, he's just a worrywart. He, he's that kind of guy that always suspects that something is going to go wrong. And so we've got enough, thank you. Just give us our bill. We'll be on our way. And so 
he shakes his head. He's heard that talk before, and out they go the door. Now, the reason I bring that man up is this. You see, I'm a pastor, and I understand a little bit of what that merchant must have been thinking in that moment. You know, it's my profession, I guess, but even more importantly, it's my calling. And one of the things I get the privilege of doing almost every Sunday or every conversation is say to to people, you know what, maybe you need some more oil. Maybe you think you've got enough, but you just never know. What are you doing in your life? Regularly, I'll say to people, hey, uh, you know what? I know things are going good for you right now, but why don't you make church attendance a little more, a little more faithful than you've been? Why don't you join a small group, a growth group, where you're going to get centered in Christ? Why don't you develop a prayer life, a devotional life, spending time in the Word and, and, and that's my kind of my job. And people will look at me and say, yeah, that's what I would expect the pastor to say. And, and I'll say, you know, you need to make sure you got that light going through you and, and helping you. But boy, is it especially important when the crisis comes. When that moment comes and it's the darkest of valleys, make sure you have enough oil. I wonder, in fact, how the oil merchant felt when it was past midnight and he hears that knocking on the door and the women are screaming, please, please, let us buy some more oil. And I'm sure he felt like grumbling and complaining and saying, listen, I told you you might need some more oil, but you didn't listen to me. You can never have too much oil. But I want to ask you this morning, how's your oil reserve? Yes, I'm a pastor. I guess I'm supposed to ask those questions. But how is your reserve? You know, it's a good idea to keep buying oil year after year, day after day, week after week. And sometimes it even seems a little excessive. Sometimes it seems like I'm just going through the motions. But when the crisis comes, I'm going to tell you something, folks, and I've been around long enough to know it. It's helpful to know when that crisis comes that, I've got enough oil to keep lighting the way. Now, I'm not saying, listen to me, I am not saying if you come to church and you go to a growth group and you get involved with a Bible study and you have a devotion every day that suddenly you're going to gain all these brownie points with God and your life is just going to be gravy. That is not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. If you be faithful, you be faithful in your church, You'll be faithful to continue to pursue a relationship with Christ and develop your relationship with him by encouraging others and being with others and understanding God's word. I'm going to tell you that when you face that moment of darkness, you'll be surprised. There's a light that will burn and you'll have enough oil. Make sure you have enough oil. I I hear it all the time. Pastor, come quick. I'm in the hospital. I need your help. Pastor, they'll call me on the phone. My marriage is falling apart. Can you fix this? Can you speak to my husband? Can you speak to my wife? Can you fix this? When a loved one has died, ah, will you preach the funeral sermon and please, please tell me that that person made it to heaven. 
And so the, so the person in the hospital, they haven't been to church, they haven't studied God's word for themselves, and suddenly they want to crash course on a healing God. Or their marriage is falling apart and they want me to tell their spouse about, about selfishness and addiction when they themselves have issues that they haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to work in their own lives. And they want the assurance of heaven but they themselves haven't experienced a relationship with Christ that is salvation and good and holy. And I'm gonna tell you as a pastor, I will do my best. I will be a comforter. I will be a shepherd. That's what I love to do. But the courage to face life and the shadows, I'm gonna tell you there's only one way. That's to buy oil. Again, and again, and again. I want to tell you about Debbie in our church. Debbie started attending our church about three years ago. Shortly after, she was diagnosed with cancer. She had been invited by uh, her son to come to our church, and wouldn't you know it, she fell in love. She didn't fall in love with the pastor. She didn't fall in love with the church. She fell in love with Jesus. And she became a Christian and she began, her cancer was an intestinal cancer and so slowly but surely she lost her appetite for physical food. But what was amazing and ironic to me is even as that physical appetite diminished, her appetite for the things of God just blossomed and increased and she grew in a relationship with God and her hunger for God. And yes, there were doctor's appointments and chemotherapy treatments and all the things you would expect in that long, hard journey. But she was as faithful as she could be in pursuing God in church, connecting with Christians, and boy, did she shine. On the night before she died, and this was just a couple of weeks ago, I went to visit with her in the hospice I went into her room. She was sitting up. And I said, Debbie, how are you? And she smiled and she said, Pastor, thank you for coming, but what are you doing here? You should be visiting someone else. Or you should be home with your family, but why are you here? <laughs> and she, she just had this joy. She said to me, Pastor, I'm not afraid. Jesus is with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. And so as we talked, she asked me this one question. She's minutes or day, or just a day from passing. And she says, Pastor, how's your mom? My mom had just broken her ankles, both of her ankles in a fall the day before at my home. I don't even know how she had gotten that news. But here she was, just moments from death, and she was sharing her concern with me for my mom. Now, how does someone do that? They have a whole lot of oil. The oil shown the way the lights were burning. Let me ask you this morning, what about you? Oh, things are good, Jeff. I'm fine. Everything in my life is good. What about that moment 
when you meet the bridegroom? What about that moment in crisis? I want you to know this, and with this I'll close. To tell you the truth, this is what most bothered me about this passage for years as I've wrestled with it. You know when the foolish virgins realize that they're not going to have enough oil, they go to their friends, they go to these wise women, and they ask them, can you give us some of your oil? And their response bothers me. No. They say, no, you need to get your own. You need to go buy some oil for yourself. Doesn't that sound harsh? It, it, it sounds so selfish. It doesn't sound Christian. It doesn't sound like Jesus. But then I realized something. Then I realized, as I kind of thought about this, that this underlines a simple fact of life and an important fact of faith, that no one can make it on another person's oil. No one will ever make it on another person's oil. We have to decide to go for ourselves and purchase it. And so let me ask you, how much do you want today? Listen, as a pastor, again, I've often wished over the years, when I see someone struggling and they're going through the crisis, I would love to be able to say, here, have my faith, take my faith, use it, it's yours. But I can't. What I can do is simply this, and this is what I'm doing today. I'm saying to you, please, buy some more oil. Make sure that you're growing in your relationship with Christ. Make sure that you're being filled up with the Holy Spirit and putting yourself in a position when you walk out of this place that your reserves are loaded up. Because we can't make it on our pastor's oil or our spouse's oil or our friend's oil or church's oil, we have to buy it ourselves. And so this is a tragic story. We don't like it. It's hard to imagine these five foolish virgins sitting outside of the party. I'm sure there was weeping. The party is going on. There's fun. There's laughter. There's dancing. Everything you would expect in the wedding. And on the outside are these women, and we get this perspective. But the foolish virgins are on the outside, and they hope to get in. But friends, I want you to remember this. Jesus didn't say, these ladies were awful. They were bad, so they were never going to get into that wedding. That's not what Jesus says. If you remember, they were invited. They were good women. They were virgins who had been invited to the wedding. Indeed, they were supposed to be there. That was the bridegroom's intent. But this was a problem. They were foolish. They didn't take advantage of the opportunity that was right there in front of them. And there were consequences. Listen, Jesus told this story so that the people listening would choose to be wise. He told the foolish virgins, I don't know you. But he knows you. He knows us. He wants us to be wise. So let me ask you again, do you have enough oil? Maybe you should buy some more. 
Is, is your light burning dim? If a wind comes along, if the shadow begins to, to break, oh my goodness, will the light keep shining or will it go out? Maybe you need to get some more oil today and make a renewed commitment to follow with passion and be filled up with his spirit. Because let me tell you something. We in this room were never meant to be the bridesmaids. We're the bride. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this church, the very bride of Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to share this week and maybe over the next couple of weeks some of these amazing stories that you were able to, to share with a crowd, but I pray with that same spirit, Lord, as we hear these words, that it might be a fresh commitment that we find ourselves making to follow you, to trust you, to be filled up with your spirit. Lord, as you look on us right now, I pray that you would search our hearts and we might be people open to being filled up with the fullness of God. Help us, Lord, to make sure that we have enough oil. I pray for this church. I pray that, that, Lord, as this church even goes through a time of maybe some shadows, that, Lord, that light would continue to burn because you are faithful and good. Fill us up even now, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you.